0: Johnner would be our, like, three-person, uh, if we ever became a
1: (laughs) thruple. Johnner. It'd be Johnner. Sounds like a very Philadelphia title.
2: That was, uh, that's how I thought Goner Records was pronounced.
1: Johnner. (laughs) Johnner. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, owner of So Much Honey that even the bees envy me.
0: I'm Jeremy Ruggles, indiscriminate clearance pumpkin-flavored item obtainer.
2: And I am Peter Cook, occasional Quaker Oats enthusiast.
1: Well, it's just the classic lineup, classic trio. No guests this time.
2: Oh wow, that's been a a hot minute.
1: It has it brings me back. The
0: perfect treat for this episode would be pumpkin Quaker oats with honey.
2: <laughs> that actually sounds amazing right about now. I'd go for that. I think we should pause. We should pause, and I'll make that. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> all right, we'll ourselves. be we'll be right back, listener. <laughs>
2: Well, how y'all been?
1: You know, up and down just like everybody else, 2020 style. But uh, 2020? Well, that's how I've been, but now it's 2021 and everything is just better all the time, right? Is that the same for you guys? Everything just magically changed on New Year's Day? Yeah. Cool. Cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I had enough people mansplain to me whenever I sighed and said this year that it wouldn't get better magically that i have to prove them wrong so yes (laughs) much much better there you go all right i'm a year older already yeah that's true older you're wiser are we recording this on your birthday jeremy
0: no it's the day before but Uh, i only like telling people about my birthday after my birthday so that they feel bad about missing my birthday but i don't tell them before so it's going to seem like you guys missed my birthday, even though I'm telling you the day before.
2: Oh, man, I'm so confused now.
1: <laughs> man, your, your scheme of promoting uh, misery and entropy goes deep. There's many layers to it.
2: Yeah,
0: you guys owe me something pumpkin flavored, I'm pretty sure.
1: Deal.
2: All right. Well, in the meantime, would it be okay if I gave you some classic Motown sounds?
0: Yeah, what you got?
2: Well, I have come today with a live album, yet my name is not Jeremy Ruggles. You have the the history of bringing the live albums, but this time it's co-host Peter.
0: It's kind of my shtick, but uh, yeah,
2: yeah, new year, new you. <laughs> yeah, I brought the Temptations live, exclamation point, which was released on March 6, 1967 on Gordy Records. And it was recorded a little before that on October 3rd, 1966 at the Upper Deck inside of the Rooster Tail Supper Club in Detroit, Michigan. And we'll talk a little bit more about the venue, but let's just get started by playing Side A Track 3, What Love Has Joined Together.
0: This is the song that pulled me back in, boys. I'm gonna, yeah. yeah, I had not actually heard this album previous to before this. You know, while we're doing the research, and the it starts out with an intro, normal for a live record, but then they go right into a medley, and I hate medleys. Same. (laughs) Can't stand them.
2: It's an odd choice to do right out the gate.
0: Yeah, and in that in that medley, the snare's all, like, ringing all crazy in the room, and there's people, like, clapping, and they're, like, clapping slightly off, so it's all smeary. And I was like, oh, this is a rough-sounding recording, and it's a medley, and I am not digging this. But then this song is next, and I was like, oh, there we go. Kind of mm. pulled me back in the groove.
2: I... I'd be inclined to agree with you. I don't always listen to that medley when I put this on because it is a bit shambling. Yeah, it's kind of an abrupt start to the performance, and this is where it really takes off for me, too. That's why I chose to feature this one first.
0: Yeah,
1: then it goes up from there, though. True. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of assuming that the arrangement of tracks on the record is not the same as what they did live. Just, I don't know. That was the impression I got while listening to this. So I wonder if they actually started the show with a medley or not.
2: Yeah. I couldn't find anything to prove or disprove that theory, but I wondered the same thing. So yeah, we can assume either way, (laughs) but it, yeah, it does definitely pick up in my opinion with this track and Eddie Kendrick's on lead vocal. You can't go
1: wrong. Untouchable. That's that's also one of my favorite Temptation songs, too. So it really, same thing as Jeremy, turned off by the medley and then fully reeled back in with a killer performance of one of my favorite songs.
2: Yeah, that was written by Smokey Robinson and Bobby Rogers of The Miracles, as I think many Temptation songs were. And Eddie Kendricks, we, uh, he was the first tenor in the group in their harmonies, but he's best known for his falsetto voice when singing lead. And if you're not a Patreon subscriber, you don't know that we did a whole episode on Eddie Kendricks. And so if you want to learn more, (laughs) we do a little deeper dive on on that episode. And we'll talk a little more about Eddie Kendricks as we go along here. Uh, But this is the classic Temptations lineup on this live recording. We have Eddie Kendricks, David Ruffin. Paul Williams, Melvin, Blue Franklin, and Otis Williams. And we'll talk more about the members as we go along in this episode. But the upper deck, as we mentioned at the top, that was the second floor of the Rooster Tail. And the upper deck was a rock and roll club opened in 1965 by twin brothers Tom and Jerry Shaneth. That's hilarious that their names were Tom and Jerry. And it became the upper deck became known as a night spot for the young and in 1966 the year after they opened and were quite successful as a rock and roll club they the brothers started featuring motown mondays and the first night of motown mondays featured the four tops and that performance was recorded and released as four tops live in 1966 and this one followed shortly thereafter i wasn't familiar with this i don't know if any other uh Motown Mondays were recorded and released as live albums, but it seems that a lot of the big Motown names did perform at the upper deck in the rooster tail.
1: It seems weird to me that they would only give a Monday to Motown artists. I mean, like by this time period, most of these bands were huge, like internationally successful artists. You'd think that, you know, they'd be playing a Saturday night in their own hometown, but who knows? I thought that was curious myself,
2: <laughs> but, uh, I don't know if it was to, to, to bring people out on a Monday and reserve the weekends for like touring bands or something.
1: Could be. Plus, you know, you got that alliteration and everything is, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah.
2: The alliteration will just sell it. Motown Mondays. <laughs> that is where this live performance was captured and, and how it came to be. I did double check and October 3rd was a Monday in 1966. So I was aware of the Temptations hits going back, we'll say, in the until about a, the last decade. I knew the hits. I didn't really know the individual members and the deep cuts until I started working with this guy named Sean Hartman at a record store, and I think uh, Sean was steeped in a Motown phase or a Temptations phase specifically at the time, and. By proxy, I came to know the catalog a lot better.
1: Right. Cause I mean, when you're hearing some of these amazing Temptations deep cuts, how can you not enjoy it? You'd have to be completely soulless.
2: That is a true fact.
1: Not to alienate any of our dear listeners that may not like the Temptations, but still, like, I just, I can't even imagine how you could not like this group, to be honest.
2: <laughs> it's fair. It's totally fair.
1: I would say
0: when I was younger, There's something that really turned me off about the, I mean, they're not barbershop quintet, obviously, but they do similar things with the harmonies and there's that influence there. So I can imagine somebody being kind of turned off by it, but it's so catchy. I don't even, yeah, it still seems a little weird.
1: Right, right. I mean, I feel like if you didn't like The Temptations, you just generally don't like soul music. You can't be a fan of soul music and not dig on some of the Temptations stuff. They were just as far as that vocal group sound, you know, that early heavily gospel influenced sound that Detroit street corner vocal group. Man, the, the Temptations were just top of the stack for that.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, are they the uh are are they behind the Supremes as far as like best-selling Motown artists go?
1: Yeah, the Supremes are number one. I don't know, you know what number the Temptations are, but they're they're up there. They're one of the most successful Motown groups for sure.
2: But I feel like, especially in, we'll just say it in white culture, they're probably only known for two or three songs.
1: True, true.
2: Like you know, people know "My Girl." Maybe they know like "Papa Was a Rolling Stone." I, I'm trying to think of like what the the Temps cuts are that. Uh, that really cross over.
1: I got to say every time I've dropped ain't too proud to beg it, people have just lit up, especially in like those Midwest DJ gigs. That one will get pretty much any crowd bar dance nights, weddings, any generation, any community gets down on that song too. I'm happy to report.
2: All right. So got a few, but yeah, they, their catalog goes so much deeper True than those few tracks. And one of the ones that I think, really deserves more attention from everyone is the song don't look back
1: yes one of the best uh sleeper hits from the temptations for sure
2: yeah and there is a very lengthy version that appears at the end of this live outing that i would like to feature next if you guys are ready to do that
0: let's do that let's do it
2: right side b last track
3: You're running from. There's no hiding place. Mm. Love has problems, I know, but their problems we'll just have to face. Oh yeah. yeah. So if you just put your hands.
1: there's a great debate about who is the best singer from the temptations and for a long time i was fully in the eddie kendrick's camp and the more i got into the group the more i was like man as much as like david ruffin was kind of an asshole he just fucking killed it so much on so many of his tracks and then (laughs) even the more i listened to this group it's just all about those Paul Williams leads. And that song is, you know, his signature track that is such a perfect example of how incredible the singer Paul Williams was. And from what I understand, that was the live show closing staple song for them and still is to this day. The true galaxy
0: brain is the Otis Williams heads though.
1: (laughs) Nah, (laughs) not even true.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so don't look back. Another one written by Smokey Robinson, this time co-written with Ronald White, also, I believe, from The Miracles. And Paul Williams, the lead vocalist on that, had been The Temptations' original lead singer, but by this time, he had been overshadowed by both David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks. And I believe uh, Paul Williams is a baritone. I think that's where he falls in the, the range. And Smokey Robinson had produced... The studio version, he had specifically assigned Paul Williams to the lead vocal on that one to showcase his voice, and the studio version had modest success as a single, peaking at number 83 on the Billboard Hot 100. Because of its kind of uh, you know modest success, that prevented Paul Williams from getting more leads on Temptation Singles. However, when this live version was released, R&B DJs across the country started playing it, and the song had belated success as a result of that, which I thought was interesting. that It had a second life. That's
1: part of the reason why it became a staple of the live show, is it just quickly became a fan favorite. And you you just can't deny the power of Paul Williams' lead on there. I think all the, the different members of the group had their their strengths and we're all, you know, amazing musicians, but there's just that element of just raw emotion and kind of a deep sadness that Paul Williams had to his vocals that none of the other members could quite compete with, I think.
2: Yeah. You have to think and feel a little bit more with the Paul Williams tracks than say David, a David Ruffin sang song that you can just kind of go along with the flow of it.
1: Plus, once you start to hear a little bit of the history of Paul Williams and the stuff that was happening to him in his life and the struggles he had, it just, man, makes those songs even heavier to listen to.
2: Yeah, and he was mainly at this point the choreographer for the group. He had developed the dance steps for their live show, for The Temptations. And he for this song, he had put together a routine where he followed the lyrics' advice to keep on walking and performed a strut across the stage and... Audiences loved it. I think that's partially what you're hearing all those young girls react to. The young women in the audience are yelling, you know, and and you could hear them yelling for don't look back right before the song. And, you know, then they go right into it and everyone goes crazy. Sean, you said that this song to this day is a closing song in for the Temptations live show.
1: That's what I have read. I have never seen the Temptations live, but from what I understand, even decades after Paul Williams passed, they are still closing every show with this.
2: Okay, yeah, maybe they picked up again at some point, because what I had read was that the song was retired from their repertoire when Paul Williams left the group in 1971 due to complications from sickle cell anemia and alcoholism. But that might have been in that time period. Obviously, Otis Williams... Continues the group to this day with all new members. And so maybe someone's picked up that song since then. Could be. And or maybe
1: I'm wrong. All these things are possible.
2: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah, as I mentioned, Paul Williams left the group due to health issues. And in 1973, sadly, he committed suicide. Paul Williams and Eddie Kendricks had grown up together in Alabama and sang together in church choir. And as teenagers, they sang in a doo-wop group called The Cavaliers. And eventually they moved north to Detroit and in 1961 hooked up with Melvin Franklin, Otis Williams, and a guy named Al Bryant and formed The Temptations, or what would become The Temptations. They auditioned for Barry Gordy as The Elgins and were signed to the Motown imprint Miracle Records, which they released a couple singles through Miracle Records. And then that label folded, and they were reassigned to the latest imprint that Barry Gordy had, Gordy Records, which is interesting. It's like, all right, my one label is closing down, so here's my other subsidiary. <laughs> that Motown management of, of labels is always interesting to me, and I think that goes pretty deep. I think there's a complicated history there.
1: Yeah, I know initially Barry Gordy had this idea of having a lot of smaller labels and having more strict rules as to what kind of music was on each one. Some of them were more like up-tempo. Some of them were more of a raw soul. I mean, he had like a country and rock label at one point and some of them worked, some of them didn't. And eventually it kind of became Gordy, Motown and Tamla were the the main ones that you will find out there.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the uh, fellow I mentioned, Al Bryant, he was frustrated with the initial lack of success of the group And he preferred his day job working as a milkman over rehearsing and performing the rigors of all that. And was fired in 1964 after striking Paul Williams with a beer bottle on stage, which I was unaware of that particular aspect (laughs) of the group's history until doing some research for this.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize about the Temptations. I mean, you just think of them as this larger-than-life hugely successful group but you know they were all putting in work for a very very long time before even getting signed to Motown we should also mention that before becoming the Elgins Paul Williams and Eddie Kendricks were in a group called the Primes which were considered to be like the hottest underground Detroit group at that time so much so that they also had a backup all female vocal group called the Primettes which Mm -hmm. then later changed their name to the Supremes
2: yeah That's a good point. We shouldn't uh, gloss over that. And I think we mentioned that a little bit in our Diana Ross episode. Yeah, there's actually a lot of them moving back and forth from the South and then to Cleveland and then to Detroit and then back (laughs) uh, amidst uh, them trying to gain the success.
1: Right. So yeah, when when you put that context in of they were this group that everyone thought was going to get big because they were selling out shows before they had a real record deal. They get signed to Motown in 1960. Everything seemed like seems like it's going to be great. And then they don't have a hit single for four years, which is an incredibly long time to be on Motown without a hit single. There's plenty of artists that were dropped after one or two unsuccessful singles. And they were actually known in the Motown Camp as the Hitless Temptations after a while because everyone was just like, yep, they're good, but no one wants to hear them. And, you know, that's just it for these guys. Unbelievable. Right.
2: So, after that incident where Al Bryant was fired, David Ruffin was brought in as his replacement. And he had been following the group around, hoping to join. And he had even impressed them when he had joined them on stage for a performance the previous year, which was 1963. So, Ruffin joined, and this became the Classic Five era of The Temptations. And David Ruffin ended up becoming the lead vocalist on The Temptations' first number one single in 1965. And that was the song My Girl, the one that everyone knows. It was released in late 64, but it became a hit in 1965. And let's go ahead and listen to the live version of that. Side A track four. Also penned by Smokey Robinson and Ronald White.
4: Thank you. Thank you very much. So much for me. Alright. My girl.
0: a fantastic performance of that song sometimes when singers do the like superstar holding notes longer and stuff it really turns me off but he did it very tastefully i felt like in this song
1: yeah everything you know aside from the medley is done very tastefully on this record there's slight changes but they don't they don't butcher the original version. You can hear the band doing little flourishes every now and then, and it's it all just still serves the song, which goes to show how how pro the whole Motown camp was, the singers and the musicians. They knew what they were doing.
0: And there's just like a buzzing energy throughout the whole record. There's just this
1: feeling you
0: get that is not there in a lot of live records and is not there in a lot of live shows but you just can feel the excitement and not just like people yelling and stuff it's there's there's something there
2: yeah and you know obviously technically that you there are some issues that happen with the recording here and there throughout the album i think in particular at the beginning at the medley Uh, So maybe that was first and they were still figuring out some mic placements or (laughs) this or that, because you can can hear some like distortion and leakage happening at at points on this record. Uh, I'm sure in 1966, capturing an energetic live performance such as this was, uh, you know, difficult technologically speaking uh, with this many performers involved. I don't know the specifics of uh, how they captured this, but It is a really cool document to have and the energy is still there on wax for us to hear. Definitely all these years later. Yeah. So Robinson, Smokey Robinson wrote that song specifically as a showcase for David Ruffin. He noticed that Ruffin had this mellow yet gruff voice and he wanted something that Ruffin could belt out yet was also melodic and sweet and Smokey Robinson, as producer, did also allow The Temptations to arrange their own backing vocals for that song, so they were given a lot of creative freedom there, and it really, I think that's one of the reasons that it's their signature song, and that it it seems very close to them when they're all performing, it. it sounds like a real group effort. I guess what I'm saying is, it is their most played song, but it deserves its place, in the cultural consciousness.
1: Oh, absolutely. One of the things I've always admired about The Temptations is how good the group harmonies are and how perfectly they fit. I think a lot of the Motown group recordings actually suffered by downplaying the backing singers and making it more of just a spotlight on the lead singer, but The the Temptations still maintained that group feel better than a lot of their contemporaries. The, The other thing to note, with this being a live record is they were also known as being some of the best dancers in the Motown, the Motown label. So a lot of the energy you're hearing and the audience participation is also because they're just, they're just fucking killing it on stage in every way. They always had these amazingly choreographed dance moves to go with it. They were just so smooth dancing and hitting those notes perfectly. You can find just a couple live YouTube videos of varying quality, and some of their like early tv appearances and just man they're just so cool to watch just the coolest guys and then you add that on top of you know being the hometown heroes playing a detroit club i'm sure that was just a magical experience
2: yeah really uh i start to like visualize what this was like when i listen to this record as i understand it this was the this is the only uh live temptations At least the only officially released live Temptations album that features David Ruffin. I don't know if you can confirm or deny that, Sean, as the Temptations head, the official Temptations head, if I'd buy that for a dollar.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they did some more live records after this, but '67 was when David Ruffin was fired from the group. So he didn't get a chance to be on the following live records.
2: Okay, wow, it was that soon after this. Yeah. Well, this song, the success of this song, did, at least for a brief time, elevate him to the status of lead vocalist for The Temptations on their subsequent hits. But I would like to talk a little bit about the other players that are on this live recording. We have The Temptations band, as they seem to be billed. So I don't think there might be some funk brothers present here. But it's. I think Funk Brothers were more the studio musicians and they had a separate live band that went out.
1: Well, the, the Funk Brothers were such a huge group that you could kind of like peel off enough members to do a live show and still be fine Yeah. and still have plenty of studio guys. So from what I understood, there was there was some guys that did more of the live stuff than the studio stuff. Like Hamilton Bohannon seemed to be more of a live guy than an in-studio guy for Motown. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how much of a crossover there was between that on this performance.
2: Yeah, when I actually looked up, like who were in the Funk Brothers, it was dozens upon dozens of names. So, sure, sure. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that widespread. So in the Temptations band here, we have Cornelius Grant on guitar, and he's also the musical director. On bass, we have a guy named Bill. Up Church, no relation to Phil, but they joked that they were brothers. Interesting. Yeah. Stormin Norman Roberts on the drums, and then we have Johnny Trudell's horn section. Uh, Johnny Trudell was Motown's most dependable trumpeter. Uh, he he developed the brass section and coordinated the arrangements for Motown. There's all kinds of players on trumpets, trombones, alto sax, tenor sax. Uh, One of the guys on baritone sax and flute on this record is named George Benson, but not the guitarist. So there's another George Benson. Whoa. I saw that, and I got confused. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was like, wait, did George Benson also play the sax and the flute? Man, this guy. Oh, no, not the same guy. (laughs) Yeah, so that's just a few of the, the other players on here. Obviously, a really incredible band backing them up on here and pretty well captured overall on this recording
1: yeah you know honestly if the recording was like too smooth and too glossy it would just ruin it you gotta have a little bit of that raw live energy especially for a 60s motown live record and this one delivers
2: absolutely so sean were you at all familiar with this one uh before i chose
1: this is one of the few early Temptations records that I don't have. I've seen copies a few times, but every time it's just been a little too beat up for me to keep in my collection. I did just find one two days ago in a basement for a dollar though, but I haven't uh, cleaned it up to see <laughs> how well it plays. Uh-huh. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't listened to this one as much as the the studio records from this time period.
2: Yeah. For whatever reason, I feel like I see this one in a lot of new arrival bins at stores or, if you look in the temptation section, it's sitting there. I, I think for some reason people, aside from Jeremy Ruggles, have like a phobia to live albums. And uh it it's worth picking up. It's you'll find it for so cheap. I would say I usually I've seen it priced from yeah, from like anywhere from a dollar to maybe tops seven dollars. I, I think I bought mine for five.
1: Sure. Yeah. It's definitely worth less than just about all of the surrounding temptations records from this time period and you know there's something about a live record that just feels more like a time capsule than a studio record from this time period especially the the studio records with the big hits you kind of just think of it as like outside of time or larger than life in a certain way but you know hearing that that raw live energy and the audience participation and just really it, it hits you in a different way than a studio record will
2: Yeah, this one's warts and all. Definitely. And I guess they did clean it up for the uh, CD reissue. There was some remastering and remixing as well as they kind of uh, expanded it a little bit. But I like this quick and done document as found on this very inexpensive and overlooked LP. What do you have for our Spotify playlist, Sean?
1: Yeah, I went for a lot of Motown stuff obviously a lot of things from the late sixties and a handful of other Motown live records are on here. A lot of temptations tracks from the classic five time period, some stuff from the contours who were close associates of the temptations around this time period. In fact, their big hit, do you love me was initially supposed to go to the temptations during the early period. And then they last minute decided to give it to the contours instead And then after Eddie Kendricks left, they ended up hiring Dennis Edwards as their new lead singer, who was the Contours lead singer at that point. Other songs we got on the list, one of my favorite underrated Motown artists, Shorty Long. plus Other early guys like Marv Johnson, Isley Brothers, Spinners, Jimmy Ruffin, David Ruffin's brother, The Supremes from one of their live records from 1965, some Eddie Kendricks solo stuff, Mary Wells. And then a few non-Motown groups like The Impressions and Jackie Wilson that definitely had an influence on the Motown sound. And also a couple smaller Motown artists doing covers of Temptations tracks. I got Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's doing a version of Fading Away. The Monitor's doing a version of Say You. And then we end it with uh, the studio version of Don't Look Back.
2: I saw you had the Velvelettes on there.
1: I did, yeah, because I know you have a bit of an association with that group of sorts.
2: Yeah. Bertha Barbie McNeil from the Belvolettes taught at my middle school and is now uh, the neighbor to my wife's grandparents
1: in Kalamazoo. (laughs) Right. Because from what I understand that group uh, met while attending Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo and then Mm -hmm. moved out to Detroit to make it big at Motown which they obviously did not make it as big as a lot of the other groups. They had a hit with a song called Needle in the Haystack, and then I put the B-side on this playlist, Should I Tell Them. That's a cool, underrated Motown group right there.
2: Awesome. Yeah, I was happy to see that you had included them.
0: You know who you could probably add that uh, you showed me, I believe, Sean? The ink spots?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. I mean... That's much earlier yeah much earlier but you couldn't really be a soul artist at this time and not be influenced by the ink spots in some way for sure which also we got to do an ink spots (laughs) episode at some point i love the ink spots
2: i so look forward to that my favorite well i'm gonna wait till we do that episode what i don't want to spoil anything (laughs) in advance that'll be that'll be fun though i fully look forward to that
1: perfect well, uh, you can find that playlist on Spotify by searching I'd buy that podcast, all one word to find this and every other playlist we've done to accompany our season two episodes.
2: And don't forget, we mentioned earlier, we have a Patreon that you can pledge to support us and you can get bonus content at the $1 tier. You will get advanced early episodes We'll send them to you a few days in advance before the rest of the world gets them. And then at the $5 tier, you get that along with bonus episodes. And Eddie Kendricks is one of those bonus episodes. Eddie Kendricks from the Temptations. We talk about some of his solo stuff. We have quite a few of those available now. I think we've got around ten of them. And then at the $20 tier, you get all that. Plus we can send you we will send you the vinyl subscription for $20 a month, you will get the vinyl subscription where we will send you an LP along with a 40, at least one LP and a 45 along with a handwritten note. Yes. Usually courtesy of Sean Hartman.
1: <laughs> That's true. And those are limited slots for the $20 tier. We actually just had another one signed up by Mr. DJ Mahogany. Shout out DJ Mahogany. Oh, wow. Big fan of the show. Awesome. And yeah, there's only a couple slots left if you want to get it on that vinyl subscription program. So I'll mail you records every month. They'll be good.
0: I've been liking the Instagram story shout-outs we've been getting. So if you're oh, yeah. you know, if you're into that thing, shout us out. We
1: appreciate it. We do. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Listeners have been, you know, shouting us out saying, Learned about this from I'd buy that for a dollar. And uh we really definitely Appreciate the love. I did want to spend just a little time before we wrap things up here with another installment of for the record, where we set the record straight on misinformation we stated in previous episodes on our season one finale, the Jody Watley episode. I asked my co-host how to pronounce a certain pop star's name. Is it Rihanna or Rihanna? And one of our my co-hosts said it's Rihanna. Well, afterwards I looked it up, and it's actually Rihanna.
1: Whoa! <laughs> but my, I my stand mind was corrected.
2: <laughs> my mind was blown too. I don't, I don't know why I questioned it, but uh, apparently it is Rihanna. On our Kid Creole and the Coconuts episode, immediately after that episode launched, after it became available, the guitarist who we neglected to mention on the episode, Mark Mazer, He reached out to us to set the record straight about the song, I'm Corrupt, the song that was penned by Andy Cody Mundy Hernandez, the first song that we featured on that episode that was mostly instrumental on the final release. So Mark informed us that the lyrics were not about a corrupt lover. They were calling out Kid Creole on his corrupt pimp-like attitude and apparently, it was totally accurate. So, Kid Creole, his producer, erased the verse lyrics, leaving the song's meaning open to interpretation, but also therein confirming the truth about Cody's original lyrics. So, we really thank we want to thank Mark for reaching out with that little clarification on that detail. Very cool. I think that's the first time that we've had an artist involved with one of the albums we featured. Uh, reach out (laughs) and uh, uh, correct us or just uh, give us a little more backstory on a song. One more thing before we uh, end this installment of For the Record. On our Kashif episode, we said that Stone Love, the supreme song, was a Holland Dozier Holland number, but it was written, it was actually written by Kenny Thomas and Frank Wilson. And also in that same dis- part of the discussion, we mentioned the Shylight song. The one that we referred to was not stoned in love with you. It was stoned out of my mind. And we actually have a Patreon episode about that Shylight song. True. That Jeremy was kind enough to bring to us. And I didn't even catch it when they said it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, knew what he was ta- I knew what we were talking about. But I uh, just wanted to clear or correct that detail. So that is it for this installment of For the Record, where we set the record straight. And so we mentioned that Otis Williams, uh, well, I don't know if we did mention it. Otis Williams from The Temptations is the only surviving original member of the group. But he rarely sang lead, and he is not featured on lead on any of the tracks on this album. However, Melvin Blue Franklin, as he was known, the bass singer does have a lead on here on the track Old Man River, a show tune from the 1927 musical Showboat. And so this is sung from the perspective of a black stevedore on a showboat. And The Temptations change any mention of white men to rich men in their rendition of this song. It was written by Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein the second of Rogers and Hammerstein fame. And I guess Gordy, Barry Gordy, head of Motown encouraged Motown acts to perform numbers from Broadway shows to appeal to a wider audience, especially live. It seems like he encouraged this. Are you, are you familiar with this at all, Sean? I uh, know. Yeah. It seems that the Supremes also did that. So that's how this ended up on this live recording. And so that is where I would like to leave things with, uh, Melvin Blue Franklin taking the lead. He takes it a little ways in, so we'll have to listen to a a couple minutes. We'll we'll feature a couple minutes of the track going out here. Uh, Did we have any closing thoughts on The Temptations? I just
0: wanted to throw out a buddy of mine was like, yeah, I love them. I love the song Ball of Confusion. And I was like, I hadn't heard that one. And I listened and learned that they had a whole psychedelic soul period after this. Mhm. So if this stuff doesn't grab you, check out the psychedelic soul era of Temptations. It's pretty wild stuff.
1: Yeah, I do know a few people that prefer that period over anything else. It's harder for me to get into some of that stuff just because I love you know, Eddie Hendricks and Paul Williams and David Ruffin so much. And the dynamic is lost a little bit after they switched lead singers, but there's still some really amazing moments. And I put a couple of tracks from that, like late sixties, early seventies period in the Spotify playlist. And the, the switchover was because the producer Norman Whitfield kept asking Barry Gordy if he could produce for the temptations. And Barry told him, well, you know, they got a good thing with Smokey Robinson. If Smokey's next single doesn't crack the top 20 with them, you can have them. And their next single did not crack the top 20. So then Norman Whitfield jumped in and started introducing wah pedals and weird effects and heavier horn-led psychedelic sound that was very successful for them.
2: Wow. Well, at some point, we'll maybe we'll go there. There, there could be a, another Temptations episode in our future. Who knows? I wouldn't
1: be mad about that. <laughs>
2: All right, so we are going to get out of here on the aforementioned Old Man River. Thank you so much for listening to I'd buy that for a dollar. My name is Peter Cook.
1: I'm Sean
0: Hartman. My name is Jeremy Ruggles. There is no war but class war.
5: Do <laughs> <laughs> we all work on the Mississippi? Here we are.
3: While the rich forest plays Getting the rest from the dawn till the sunset Getting the rest till the judgment day You, you don't, don't look down. up, you don't look down You don't dare make the rich boss frown Bend your knee <laughs> and bow your head and to that bar until you're dead. Let me go away
5: on the Mississippi. Let me go away on the rich man's. Farm. That's three